So as we pick up in John chapter 9, last week we ended with uh, a tough situation. What's been happening is Jesus' ministry has continued to explode on the scene. More and more people are, are coming, listening to him. Word is spreading all throughout the land. He's been performing miracles. And, and it's also created more and more division. More people are against him, and we see them uh, reacting in stronger and stronger ways. Uh, in fact, last week, we ended with, uh, literally, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Right, so, so we see that the opposition has grown, and, and Jesus is continuing to reaffirm his message, who he is, and ultimately that he is God. And so we continue on uh, this morning, and we'll look at verses 1 through 7 first. And it says this in John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, so Jesus, he's got his followers, uh, his disciples, they're, they're following him as he's journeying, as he's walking. And, and as they're walking, they see and they notice this guy who's blind. Now it says he's been blind from birth. We're not sure how they knew that, uh, but, but they did. He was blind from birth, and what this did was it, it brought up this conversation uh, that really exposed and revealed uh, the theological thoughts that people had under the influence of the religious leaders during that time. And we see it through the question that the disciples asked Jesus. They see this guy, and they, they say, Rabbi, so who sinned in that situation? Was it him or was it his parents? Because in their minds, there was only one of two reasons as to why this guy was blind. It was either his sin. Now, that's a little difficult, right? Because it says what? He was born blind. Now, there were a couple extreme groups during that time. One uh, that believed uh, that you could commit sin in the womb. I don't think they were in that camp. There was another who were influenced uh, by the Greeks who believed that you could be sinning uh, or held accountable to sin from your previous existence, your previous life, right? Uh, and so there was some that believed that. I don't think they believed that either, but either way, in their minds, there's one of two options. Either he has earned and deserved what has happened to him or what his parents did has caused this affliction to be on him. And, and, and so as we look at this, the first thing we have to acknowledge is not where they're off in their thinking, but let's talk about what is right in what they're saying, okay? Let's, let's start with that. The first thing is this. Overall, in general, the affliction 
the suffering in our world is a direct result of sin. Okay, so when we think of the decay, when we think of uh, how we're born into this world, how we sin, how we continue to struggle in that, uh, we know that that is caused by the influence of sin. We also know uh, that in Scripture, there are specific illnesses that sometimes were a direct result, a direct consequence of a specific sin. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, when Moses is leading his people, we actually see in Numbers chapter 12, his sister and his brother, um, they have in their minds, in their hearts that, hey, you know what? He's not the only one qualified to speak. And so they start to think about this rebellion. And we actually read in Numbers chapter 12 where uh, his sister Miriam uh, gets leprosy as a result of her intentions there. Now she's healed, but ultimately we see this happen throughout Scripture. In fact, earlier in the book of John, in John chapter 5 verse 14, after Jesus healed another guy who was a paralytic, uh, he told him, In verse 14 of chapter 5, it says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So we see that direct connection. And even later on in the New Testament, Paul warns the Corinthian church uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He warns them because they've been taking the Lord's Supper together. And while they're doing this, as they're gathering together, uh, people are leaving starving. In other words, some are eating to their fill and allowing others to starve. And then literally others are getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. And so Paul uh, responds and rebukes him and says this in 1 Corinthians 11.30. He says, this, uh, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So we, we do see in specific instances in Scripture where people's sin resulted in specific consequences, suffering. And tragically, there are also times when children are forced to suffer the natural consequences for their parents' sins. When we think of just even substance abuse during pregnancy and things like that, we see kids suffer as a result of that. But then on the other hand, we have to be mindful of this, and this is where they're off. We can't rush to the conclusion that every affliction, every, uh, every, every person that we see that's suffering that, that, that we, we immediately go to this place that God's judgment is on their sin. Something they did caused that. I know it. Right? We have to guard against that thought because the Bible has many teachings throughout uh, Scripture that warn us against making an assumption that when we suffer, it's because of a specific sin. Okay? And, and we actually see this... this uh, this way of thinking that, once again, was very prevalent in those days. Uh, They would look at each other like this, and a lot of this uh, was a result of how the religious leaders led, how they modeled, because it was in this way that they treated people and looked at people. And we see that this way of thinking is addressed throughout the book of Job. Now, if you've never read the book of Job, and you go to read it, it's really tough. It's going to get really depressing, but finish it. (laughs) 
Got to get to the end. But we see throughout the book of Job, we see that his friends come uh, in his time of trial and suffering, and he suffers in unimaginable ways. And his friends come, and, and you, you would think and assume, right? My friends are here. They're going to give me wise counsel. But his friends come to the conclusion and share it with Job that he's the worst sinner in all of the land because he's being afflicted worse than anybody else in the land. That's their counsel to their buddy. But where was their logic? Their logic came from this belief that a person's suffering was in direct proportion to their sin. Right? So the same degree that they, that they sinned, they would suffer in that way. And so by that thinking, Job, you're actually getting what you deserve. And God is not okay with that advice. In fact, God rebukes Job's friends in Job 42, 7, when he says, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And then on another occasion, Jesus addresses this same mindset as people who are around him bring up these current events under the pretense that, hey, uh, these uh, people must have been, you know, the worst of sinners. And so Jesus addresses this topic in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, where he says this, there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So he's using these current events, because he knew what was going on in culture, and, and he's using these, these two events where, one, these innocent people are slaughtered, and the other, a tower falls on these people, and Jesus is addressing these, this mindset when he says, what, do you think that they were just worse sinners, and, and that's why they were slaughtered, and, and, and that's why this tower just fell on them? No. Stop. And then he warns them. If you don't repent as well, because we're all going to die. We're all going to stand before a, a perfect and holy God. If you don't repent as well, you will perish. He used these incidents to warn his listeners. Now, the disciples' question, ultimately, it reveals a legalistic outlook on life. Okay, that, that's ultimately what this points back to. You guys, legalism is the attempt to earn God's favor through our own righteous works. Okay, so it's, it's operating under the assumption that I can earn or keep God's favor through my righteous deeds, through the good things that I do. So, so then ultimately, I start to begin to view myself of deserving his blessings, right? Because I had something to do with it. Right, So I, my righteous works, and, and, and as I've done them and continue to do them, based upon this legalistic view, God is indebted to me. Okay, he owes me. 
right? He has to bless me now because of all I've done for him. And this is, this is prevalent. Jesus, throughout his ministry, is dealing with this. The, the, and, and here's what's so dangerous. This way of thinking, it also transfers over to when something bad happens. So then we also start to view something bad in the same legalistic way. We, we all of a sudden, this happened to me. I wonder what I did. I must have deserved this. Right? And, and, and ultimately, we say, man, like, he punished me bad on this. I wonder what I did because uh, we literally, just like we, we think, if I do this, God, mean, God should bless me like this. If we do something bad, we've, like, created rating systems for what is bad and what's really bad. And we think he's going to punish us exactly in proportion to that same degree. And this is something, you guys, man, when I started following Jesus, I remember this was a mindset that I had. I literally had this mindset as I moved forward, and it was literally this mindset of just waiting for him to repay me for all the wrong I had done. And if something bad happened, I would just go, ah, I deserve that. You got me. And, and it was this posture where I would like walk, moving forward, and, and, but waiting for him to repay me for all the wrong things that I had done. And for some of us, that's how we act. That's actually what's going on in our mind. We're moving forward, but we're actually just waiting for him to repay uh, us back for what we had done. That's not how he designed you to live. I mean, it was so backwards in my mind that, that it connected with everything that I was doing. Um, I remember even uh, in a dating situation. Now, I share this story when, because I talk about dating and marriage probably three times a year uh, to college, uh, to the college ministry, as you know why. Um, and, and, I, and I share this story where, where literally it was, it was so unhealthy to the point where I was in a relationship with uh, a girl. I was, we were dating, and I was miserable. She was probably miserable, too. I'm not going to kid myself. But I remember being in that and thinking, God wants me in this because he's repaying me. And, and so I, that was my mindset was, no, I'm called to suffer here. And, and I was okay with it. I literally had people like, hey, man, what are you doing? Well, this is what God wants. Do you know what I did? This is, this is the calling. And I had someone just say, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Why, why would you think this way? Think about this in relation to every other area of your life. And you guys, we do this. We do this. We get caught up in our past, and some of us were so fixated on our failures and our past uh, and, and how bad they were or what we did or to what degree, and we're like living in fear. We're moving forward. Like, just imagine what this says about your view of God, that he's like waiting to get you. And so, you guys, like, this is something that we see. This, the disciples are caught up in this way of thinking, and, and it's essentially it's legalism. And, and this, this way of thinking, here's, so what's here's what's dangerous about it. It doesn't just affect you. It's not just contained in your view of yourself. It then, as a result, impacts how you view other people. So you start to make assumptions about others that you have no right to make. 
right? You start to, you start to go, when something bad happens to someone else, well, I know why that happened to them. Have you heard? Well, I saw what they posted, so they got what they deserved, right? And we'll think that way. We do. Now, we'll not like raise our hand and say, oh yeah, that's me, but we think that way. In, in this legalistic way, and, and we'll make these assumptions. And, and guys, at the end of the day, uh, Jesus' response to who sinned was what? Neither. It wasn't his or his parents. This man's blindness had nothing to do with his sin, just like Job. Okay? His blindness had a far greater purpose. What was it? It says that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why he's blind right now, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, that puts a totally different perspective on the trials that we face, doesn't it? See, when I face a trial, uh, I, I struggle with viewing it just as the disciples did in this legalistic way. God, how could you allow this to happen to me? Don't you know all that I'm doing for you? God, don't you see my calendar? God, don't you see how much I pray? Don't you see that I don't lie anymore? I don't cheat. I don't hang out with those people. I don't do that thing anymore. God, don't you see that? What's wrong with you? God, I'm a pastor. You owe me, man. It's tough out there right now. Right? These are all things that come out in our relationship with him. And, and, and then my next response, uh, which is in the same vein, is... I try to see how quickly I can make the trial stop. All the while missing the fact that God has a bigger purpose in mind for my suffering, for my trial. Guys, to shortcut the trial would be to miss out on the display of God's glory in the trial. And I'm amazed at how many Jesus followers have this same destructive way of thinking, even though many of us know the promises of God. Even though we know what he promises to do through the trials, we're the quickest uh, uh, to quit. Uh, we're the quickest to go, man, what's the easiest way out of this? Instead of saying, God, I'm gonna walk with you through this, trusting in your words. I'm not gonna trust my feelings, my emotions, uh, what I can see, uh, what I can't see. God, I'm gonna trust in your words and I'm gonna walk through this obediently. And what does he say? We know he's going to display his glory. And Jesus here in this situation, he displays his glory by healing this man. Guys, how many years do you think this guy asked, why me? Every day he wakes up hearing about what people are seeing. Beauty, all these things, and, 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 and over and over again, why am I the son? Why, why do I have to be the one, God, that can't see? Why do I have to be the one to hear about it? Why is this my lot in life? And guys, it wasn't like today. They didn't have all these services available uh, for, for him. Uh, he was deemed worthless, and so good luck on your own, and he's a beggar. So every day, year after year, why me? Why? The frustration, the torment. Guys, only God knows why we go through the things we go through. But the promise of God 
If, we're gonna, if we'll follow him, if we'll walk with him hand in hand, the promise is that he's going to bring good out of whatever affliction, whatever suffering you may face. Romans 8, 28. Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's what he says. Those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, he is going to work all of this out ultimately for his good. He can bring good out of any of it, even the worst of pain uh, that you've had, the worst suffering that you've gone through, the most confusing events, because sometimes uh, confusion brings suffering in our lives. Amen? How many of us have just been confused in the last year? But we know, according to Scripture, that in spite of all those things that he promises that he can bring about his glory. And that's why the Apostle Paul could write in Romans 8, 18, says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's how he could write those words. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, guys, this is someone qualified to write those words because this guy suffered. When you read the New Testament, you look at Paul's life and you go, man, that guy, that was rough. In fact, his initial calling, the guy that was sent by God to to bring Paul into ministry God tells the man, he says, hey, I want you to talk to Paul because I'm going to tell him how much he's going to suffer for me. And so Paul suffered. I mean, I mean, this guy went through it. People were stranded on, on a cruise a year ago. Paul was shipwrecked multiple times. Okay, beaten, left for dead, stoned, not in the Eugene way, but literally with rocks. I mean, this guy went through all kinds of things for the sake of the gospel over and over and over again, and yet he's able to say that? He must be on to something. Now, let's be clear. Paul was also, in his sufferings, praying for God's deliverance. Amen? So this isn't the story of just like, oh, that's it. Just take it. Just take it. You heard heard what Steve said, right, honey? Don't pray for anything. Just take it. No. This is a story about what? A miracle. Paul prayed for deliverance. What this is a challenge to is, will I walk obediently through it, holding Christ's hand? And will I not get caught up in the question of why the blindness? Just like the disciples couldn't get past it, right? They're caught up. They see this guy. And what is their hangup? Why is he blind? Whereas Jesus' focus is what? on moving forward, on how God overruled the blindness so that by recovering this man's sight, literally, that he could display God's glory, that this man could see the glory of God through the face of Jesus. How he could see how the true light of the world could bring physical light to his life. God sovereignly chose to use this man's affliction for his own glory. What do you think he wants to do with yours? And it reminds me of Genesis 50, 20. My favorite verses in the Bible. 
in the Old Testament where Joseph, and if you read the story of Joseph, he suffered greatly. Uh, and his brothers uh, literally uh, disowned him, sold him off. Uh, just the worst possible thing. Some would maybe even say worse than death, what his brothers did to him. And there, finally, at the end of the story, here Joseph is, second most powerful man in all of Egypt, and here are his brothers. And his brothers are terrified. I dreamt of this moment growing up with my brothers. And it just hasn't happened. But, uh, but God can do anything. So there he is, all the power, and his brothers are going, we're dead. And what does he say? Those powerful words, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And this is a guy that went through unimaginable suffering. And he's able to say those words. Words And so Jesus, after addressing their misunderstanding, what does he do? He affirms where their priority needs to be, not where it was. He says what? We, and he's speaking to his disciples, we must work the works of him who sent me. So he says, stop focusing on what's backwards. Stop focusing on analyzing how this came to be and be concerned with moving forward into the purpose, into the mission that God has for us in this present moment to display God's power, to display his glory. As we see this phrase, as long as it is day, it's communicating the sense of urgency. It's it referring to this brief amount of time that Jesus had while still being physically present with his disciples. And then it says what? That after, after that night is coming, when no one can work, it says, and, and this is a reference to his going, being, being taken away by death, from the disciples, and, and, and then they would be overtaken by this darkness, unable to work until when? The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, where once again, they would be empowered to minister. But Jesus says, listen, while we're still in the world, while I'm still in the world, I will be a light in the world. And that same challenge, that same uh, thought, you guys, it has to to apply to you and to me today. If we're Jesus followers, we are called to serve God with a sense of urgency. According to the mission of the Father. A sense of urgency. Over and over again, Ephesians 5, 16 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. In Colossians 4, 5, and it's talking about walking in relation to people who are unbelievers. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So we're, so we're literally, we're tasked with, we're challenged with living in light of the reality that you are not promised tomorrow. That you are called to be a light Right now, uh, whether you love your job, you hate your job, whether you love your roommates or you hate your roommates, hopefully they're not your family if you hate them, and regardless of your situation, you are called to live, if you're a Jesus follower, with a sense of urgency on mission in light of you are not promised tomorrow. You're not promised the ability to walk out of here. Guys, if there's anything this, this last year and a half has taught us, it's the unpredictability, Right? 
And, and so when we look at this, uh, he is challenging all of us to live in this way. I was watching uh, the, the basketball, uh, basketball game this last week because it's the playoffs in the NBA. And I'm watching it, and as I'm watching the last two minutes of the game, I notice that there's a dramatic shift. I, I go, wow, now they're really starting to play. Now, they didn't replace people in those jerseys for the last two minutes. It was the same people. So what happened? Why were they playing differently? Why were they playing so much better? What, what happened there? Well, they saw that on the clock, there's what? There's only two minutes left. So there was a sense of urgency all of a sudden. So everything mattered. Every possession mattered. So, so their mindset totally shifted. You guys, the danger for us is that we're living like that team was in the first quarter. The problem is we don't have a clock. We don't have that two-minute warning. And so we just live, we go on with our lives, and we're just like, man, I love Jesus. It's awesome, and, and it's convenient, and everything like that, and I'll do what I need to do, and, and I'll keep peace, harmony. I'll do all these things and, and, and everything, but, but we will not live with a sense of urgency. Why? Because we are so lost in this, we have an inability to see the clock. And ultimately, we never turn that on. And many of us live our whole lives, not with a sense of urgency, but out of a security. It's not what he calls us to. Every single day is a gift. You don't know how much time you have on the clock. And, and, and even when you, let's, let's take off your, 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 your mortality for a second. Even you don't know how much more time you have at that job. You don't know how much more time you have at that living situation. You know, some, some of you just graduated. Your whole life changed. These people that were your friends that you were surrounded with, they're no longer there. And now you're going to have a whole brand new set of people that are coming to your life. And you're either going to make a decision to just move forward because it's life and the journey and that, or you're going to live with a sense of urgency moment by moment in dependence on Jesus. And you're going to see him do incredible things that are going to ultimately bring him glory. That's what he calls us into. And then we see Jesus do what, honestly, I can only describe as weird. Jesus bends over, and he spits into the dirt, the clay. Now, this had to be a lot of spit. Let's just be honest, right? I, I mean, honestly, I mean, that had to be a lot. It's like a God amount of spit. And... <laughs> Enough to literally make these two balls in the mud, right? So some of you are gonna go out, <laughs> go outside and find some dirt and go, you know, like, wow, that was a lot. Okay, that's for you later. You're welcome. But it's always when somebody tells me, Steve, man, I started reading the Bible, but man, is there's some weird stuff in there? You know what I say? I go, you're right, there is. But let me break it down. Okay, give grace to people who have read the Bible and they are confused because, guys, there is no way you would be sitting there when Jesus does this and just going, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Some of you read this and, and you've been like 
you've grew up in the church and you're like, oh yeah, totally. No, you gotta read this with fresh eyes and go, what is he doing? And why is he doing that? And we don't know, but he does it. Puts that mud in this guy's eyes and says, go, go wash in this pool. Pool of Siloam, which uh, means sent, ultimately symbolizing God's ultimate gift, right? The Messiah, the one sent from God who Jesus continually claimed to be. And so this man obediently goes to this pool, washes off. He comes back and what? He can see a miracle for the first time. He's seen people. He's putting faces to names. He's seen the beauty of God's creation and all this. I just want you to imagine what that must have been like for the first time. And guys, it wasn't this combination of of the clay and and the saliva and the chemicals in the pool. No, it was ultimately just the power of God. That man could do nothing to heal himself. It was God sovereignly choosing to use even his blindness to ultimately bring him glory. And it changed everything. In fact, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at how it changed this man's life. This is a living parable where Jesus has been talking about, I'm the light of the world. He goes, let me show you what it looks like in a physical way. And he brings light to somebody who physically had been in darkness. We see in verses uh, 8 through 12, it says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I was blind, remember? (laughs) So this healing, obviously, it causes this commotion in the neighborhood uh, with people. Obviously, there's followers of Jesus. There's, there's crowds around Jesus. Jesus is followers. And, 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 it's, and it's clear something has just happened. This man comes back, and he is, I'm seeing and everything. And, and his neighbors are so confused. The people that knew him as a beggar, they're so confused uh, because there's just no way that could happen. And so they're like, yeah, he looks like him. It can't be him. And then others are like, no, I, I, I think it's him. And then during all of this conversation, this discussion, the, the, the formerly blind man is like, it's me. It's me. I am, I am that man. And, and they ask what we would ask. Well, how did that happen? Says the man that is called Jesus did something with mud, put it in my eyes, went to the pool, told me to go to this pool. I washed off and now... I can see. And they say, where is he? He says, I don't know, because Jesus wasn't there any longer. You guys, people are watching us. People are watching. And what we see is God overruled the blindness. And here's the thing I want us to really remember this morning. God overruled the blindness, and he can do the same for you. 
He overruled that blindness. Whatever it is in your life, God can overrule that. Stop getting hung up in the why. Why is this happening? Why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why does this have to be that situation? Uh, stop going, man, how do I just escape this? How do I just get out of the, 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 the process? How do I find just an easy out, uh, you know, of avoiding maybe what God wants me to do? And for some of us, ultimately, it's even, I'm not going to do it. And we're like, I'm just going to disobey. Well, there is a book called Jonah. And I don't know if you read the news this week, but someone literally was swallowed by a whale this week. I read that and I went, I wonder what he did. <laughs> Legalism. Legalism. Still there. It's a daily battle. Ultimately, he was spit out as well. But guys, we get so caught up just like the disciples. And it's just backwards. He's calling us to move forward. And ultimately, God allows suffering to come into our lives to refine us. He promises it's going to refine you. It's going to prune you. It's going to teach you how to become more dependent on him. And I know that's a tough lesson, but man, it's so worth it. When you can learn to literally be dependent on him, and he's all that matters to you, that's it. Where you can be dependent on him, that's what he promises. He promises to bring about our sanctification. In other words, the process of becoming more like him uh, he, he promises, you walk with me hand in hand. This is what I'm going to do with it. And then ultimately, if you will follow me, if you will trust me, if you will go through the confusion, through the suffering, through the distance that you feel, listen, I am ultimately going to display my glory through this. Guys, there is no greater good. There is no greater calling than to display his glory. There's no greater calling than that. And that's what he says he's going to do if we'll just walk with him through this. And so you guys don't give in to these lies. And remember what we all really deserved, what we all really earned. Guys, none of us is perfect. We continue to make mistakes. And ultimately what we know in scripture is that we deserved death. And yet already through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, he has overruled the disease of sin. Already. And he invites us into that so you can know, so you don't have to any longer live in that legalistic garbage. He calls you out of it. So move forward in that. And guys, once again, Remember, this is a story of a miracle. Don't stop praying. Don't walk in misery, in defeat. Don't say, well, this is my lot in life, okay? Like, no, it's a story of a miracle. And here's the other thing too, okay? Because we, we're really quick sometimes in how we uh, advise other people, right? Like, we'll, we'll see someone and, and it's like, well, you need to count it as all joy. Listen, that is not gonna be received well, Okay? I've never walked into a hospital to pray for somebody and said, hey, you really need to count this as joy. No, right? It's tough. It's hard. But ultimately, we can get to that place just as Paul was able to. Not because of any ability or anything we deserve, but because of God. Guys, is there a sense of urgency with your life? And where is that coming from? Hand the keys over to Jesus 
and walk with him through this. He'll get you through. Amen? Let's pray.